0: Good morning everybody. How you doing? You look great. The sun's been shining this week. It's a wonderful day to be in the house of God and we're beginning a new sermon series. It's titled It's Complicated. And we're going to talk about some issues, mostly relationship, but things that are complicated. Today we're going to start with marriage, but then we're going to talk about things like uh, sexuality, gender identity, those kinds of things. And, and we know that in these messages we won't be able to cover everything or answer every question. So in the back of your seats, there is this card and it says it's complicated," and it says "Questions for Pastor Caleb." The final install of this uh, sermon series will be a, a message where we answer these questions that you have. So anytime over the next few weeks as we're preaching about these different subjects, if you have a question write it down. Now don't try to be cute. Oh, I'm going to try to stump Pastor Caleb. I'm going to. No, it's got to be a real question. Something that you're really pondering and you, you want some answers for. And if you do that On that final uh, message, we'll we'll deal with those. We'll have two or three of us uh, talking about the issues, and I think it'll be really helpful. So keep that in mind as we go through this series. Now, today we're going to talk about uh, marriage. And in any uh, class you take, especially in college, there is a textbook. Now, the textbook is the Bible. But one of the things I used to love about college is collateral reading. Other reading to give you context. And I'm going to give you an assignment, which is collateral reading. This is a book called The Blessed Marriage. And some of you are familiar with Robert Morris, who, who wrote The Blessed Life, which really revolutionized our church in many ways. It talked about finances. Well, he and his wife, Debbie, have written this book called The Blessed Marriage, and it is the same kind of book. So I would encourage you to get it. We're going to talk about uh, the Word of God today today from the Word of God today about marriage. But understand, that's just a a survey. It's the 30,000 foot view. We're going to talk about the basic uh, outline of what marriage looks like and some of the basic principles. But this digs deeper into a lot of the things. And again, this book's not going to answer all the questions. But if, if you really want to dig a little deeper into this subject, I would recommend this book to you. You can get it on Amazon or through Gateway Church. And it's an easy read. All of all of Robert Morse's books are easy to read. I love listening to him preach because he only has three points. Every sermon has three points. And, and he, he is a great theologian. But here's the thing I found is really smart people have the ability to make complex things a lot simpler. And uh, so that's what I love about him. And me, I just try to make simple things simple because that's the kind of preacher I am. So today, it's complicated, marriage. And marriage really is complicated. You know, I've, this September the 6th, I will have been married, along with Tina, 47 years. Yeah, I, I do need a round of applause for being married to her that long. No, No, it really is the other way around. But it's not easy, and it's still not easy. Uh, Marriage is a complicated relationship because it has so many levels to it, so much texture to it. It it has to do with physical intimacy. intimacy. It has to do with finances. It has to do with dreams and goals and plans and where you're going to live, and then you throw in the kids and all that kind of stuff. It becomes very complicated. And one of the things that complicates relationships today as we get things mixed up. Certain things are meant to be disposable. Kleenexes are meant to be disposable. You use them once, and you throw them away because they're disposable. I don't know anybody who walks around and said, well, I got this Kleenex in 1972, <laughs> and it is precious to me. I have blown my nose on it 27,000 times. No, they're meant to be used and thrown away. Yeah, and then some things aren't throwaway. This is not a throwaway. I got it 47 years ago and I haven't lost it. Okay, that's the same one. Some of you are feeling guilty right now because you've lost your ring. It's not disposable. And and the problems arise when we get things mixed up. We think things that are disposable are permanent, and things that are permanent are disposable. You know, we we, we went into this whole COVID thing, and what's the first thing that they had a run on? Toilet paper. COVID? Toilet paper? I don't understand. But you go to Fred Meyer and you couldn't find any toilet paper. Well, I had an answer for that. You just reuse it. Oh, you can't do that. Why? Because it's disposable. So there are some things you just have to throw away. (laughs) I almost got you, didn't I? And there are other things you hold on to because they're very precious. And you have to know the difference. You got to know the difference because, because too often today we think that relationships and people are disposable. I'm going to unfriend you. you. You know, one of the things that I, I, I despise is people who don't answer their phone when they see a name come up that they don't like. Answer your phone. Oh, I don't want to talk to that person. I, You've disposed of the relationship. You're meaningless to me. I'm going to blow my nose on you and throw you away. And we do that with marriages. Well, you're not fulfilling me anymore. We've just grown apart. You know, we can't be our best selves together anymore. So I'm going to just leave you And leave all my responsibilities. And just dispose of you. And I'm not going to think about you anymore. Well I'm here to tell you. It doesn't quite work that way. God tells tells us. The most valuable thing in the world is people. And they're not disposable. They're not to be used. And thrown away like Kleenex. And especially. Marriage. Marriage has some unique. Things about it. That make it absolutely essential to life. And it's a unique relationship that has no comparison. There is no other relationship that is like it. It's unique. Your relationship with your kids is not the same as marriage. Your relationship with your parents is not the same as marriage. Your relationship with your boss is not the same as marriage. Your relationship with your in-laws, thank the Lord, is not the same as marriage. (laughs) Marriage is unique because there is this combination of, of commitment emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, that make it absolutely incomparable. So... Let's talk about what the Bible has to say about marriage. And again, this is the 30,000 view. And, and I understand some of you are in, have been through a lot of pain in marriage. You, you have found yourself uh, uh, betrayed. I, I know what that's like. Two of my daughters had husbands who were unfaithful to them. I know that pain. I know the kinds of things that happen. And wherever you're at, what I want you to do is understand, this is what God says is, is what is best. And, and all of us are supposed to be working towards the best. Even whatever situation we find ourselves in, we work to the best. We work to the mark. And so that's what we're going to look at today. The Bible describes the marriage relationship with a special term, covenant. And the Hebrew word is bereth, which means To cut. Now, a covenant is different, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, it, it, that word means that they would, they would make a commitment to each other, and then they would cut an animal in pieces and give the pieces. There were other kinds of relationships in, in covenant that were, was a, they would cut their hand, and they would mix their blood. It, but it, it was a lasting, firm commitment. Something that is much different than a contract. Because you see, a contract is performance-based. If you sign a contract to finance your car, it's performance-based. If you make the payments, at the end of it, you will get the title free and clear to your car. Now, if you've got a car that has payments, you'll notice that the title has the name of the finance company on it. Because technically, they own it. Not you. You're just paying for it. Now, when you get to the end of the contract and you have performed every month, then they will give you a free title. The only problem with that, by the time you get done with all the payments, the car's worthless. But that's life. And if you don't perform, they take the car from you some guy in the middle of the night comes down the street with a tow truck and grabs it out of your driveway. That's not fair. You didn't keep your part of the contract. Covenant's different. God made covenant with us long before we made covenant with him. While we were yet sinners, the word says, Christ died for us. And the covenant he established was a covenant that his blood would cover our sin. When we partake of communion, we we say, this is the new covenant. That's what the apostle says in 1 Corinthians 11. This is the new covenant confirmed with my blood. Drink and remember. He covenanted with us. And we can receive the wonderful benefits of the covenant if we come into covenant relationship with him. But marriage is the same kind of thing. It's not dissolved by by just an action. When you make a deep covenant marriage commitment, it's a binding thing. It's a binding to you, deep in your heart, deep within yourself. That's why that idea to cut has so much meaning. If you read Genesis, you'll understand that woman was created from the rib of Adam. That was a cut. God reached in to the inner man of Adam and pulled out a rib and from that formed. So so when you talk about a covenant relationship that is deep and a cut and, and, and exposing oneself. It, it starts from the very beginning. And then Jesus was cut for us on the cross. He, he was cut and nailed and died at the hands of angry men to make a covenant with us. That's how the covenant was established. And so when we talk about marriage, we are not talking about a contract. We're not talking about an arrangement. We're not talking about a living situation. We're not talking about romance. We're talking about a commitment that is unlike almost any other. Covenant describes a binding agreement that includes blessing, and curses if it's broken. Now, I'm going to read to you from Malachi, and I want you to understand the context of this passage because he's speaking to the nation. He's not speaking just to the prophet. He's speaking to the nation because they had devalued their view of marriage. Now, we think in Malachi, most terms, we we think about when it talks about tithing and finances and, and the blessing that comes from tithing and the curse that comes when you don't. But he was talking about a culture and talking to a culture that had drifted from their primary responsibilities. And one of the areas of drift was in marriage. So when we read this passage in Malachi, it's not speaking to one individual. It's speaking to the way that that nation and society viewed marriage. And I'm going to read it to you out of the message because it's pretty clear. Malachi 2, 13 to 15. And here's a second offense. You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. (laughs) Have you ever whined and sniveled to God? I think we all have. But one of the problems we have is maybe we haven't lived up to what we should be doing. Do you know why? Simple. Because God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride, And now you've broken those vows. You've broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God. That's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. That's speaking to a cultural drift from the value. And I would say today that our culture has drifted from its value. We don't view marriage anymore. How often do I hear people, well, this is my fiance. What does that mean? We're sleeping together. We're having kids. We're buying a house. But we're not committed to each other. Well, we're just putting the money together for our destination wedding. Saying yes to the dress is not a marriage. A wedding is not a marriage. A wedding's a celebration. How many times have I stood and watched couples say vows that in my heart I wondered if they meant them at all? But they had a party and they had a DJ and they had a dance. And they had debt. Let's move. So it's different. It's the foundation for family and society. Everything comes from it. And and even Pope Francis, this week, he said this, and, and he's no conservative there is no future without the family. There's no future without the family. If a culture does not have the stability of a strong view of marriage, it crumbles at the foundation. And if you've got foundation problems, you've got real problems. If you're going to buy a house, you may not like the paint color of the walls. Great. You might might not even like the outside paint. You can change that. You want hardwood. Oh, I I can't stand carpet. People have lived in it, and it's ew. You can change that I don't like that wall I have a different vision for the kitchen I I want open concept great you can move a few walls but if you've got trouble in the foundation you're gonna be living in the basement because everything is held up by the foundation and if the foundation of society is not marriage it crumbles Because there's there's nothing to hold it together. There is no no community that helps children, that that gives society meaning. We're just individuals doing our own thing, going our own way. There's There's a term from the Old Testament. It said everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's a culture that had no common value. And Malachi was speaking to that. And, and if you don't have these commonalities that marriage brings, then personal and societal identities will be compromised, leaving an individual to try to figure it out for themselves, bringing up their own answers. You know, we, We've got a generation of young people that are trying to figure out who they are. That's why we're talking about gender issues. That's why we're talking about sexuality. Because let me tell you. All the problems in the world started with baby boomers. Really. We're a mess. We thought we knew it all. And we are a mess. And we're starting to see the selfishness of our generation being played out and magnified now. That's not an excuse for the knuckleheaded stuff the Millennials and Gen Z's are doing today. We all got our issues. You got yours, we got ours. Deal with them. But we've, we've got to have answers. Basic questions of life. Why do I exist? What am I here to do? What's my purpose? Is there a God? Does, does what I do impact anybody else? Should I live for myself or just, or, or do I have responsibility to others? Those are all questions we have to deal with, and if we don't have a foundation to deal with them, we will get some really weird answers. Marriage is a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman sealed by an exclusive sexual relationship. Okay, now there's a word that makes the marriage relationship unique. That word is consummation. And marriages are not marriages until there is a sexual consummation. That is the legal. That is the biblical. Contracts are signed. Marriages are consummated. And it's a unique one. And, and the challenge we have in our culture today is we have tried to separate sex and sexual activity from its intention. And God's intention was that we should be fruitful and multiply. And sex was the vehicle to do it. And marriage was the construct within society that allowed fruitfulness and multiplication. But the sexual revolution, which came around in the 60s, and again, it's a boomer thing, we separated. Well, we've got birth control now. We don't have to have the consequences. We can just, now now God's smart. First thing I figured out about God, he's smart. You think God's dumb? No, God's really, really smart. That's why he made sex pleasurable. Because if he wanted Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, he had to give some incentive. Because kids are not the incentive, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Kids are wonderful. So, yeah, we love the pleasurable aspects of sexuality. Let's just keep the consequences from happening because sex can have a century-long consequence. Okay? As much as I hate to think about it, my grandparents had sex. And my mother, who's now 92, was the result. That's a consequence. A century long result. So you can't divorce one from the other. And, and culture wants to, wants to say, nah, you can do all this you want. You can, you, you, can just, you can just act out sexually. There's no consequence. Well, let me tell you, there is consequence. And if it's not a consequence on children and pregnancy, it's an emotional con. It's, it's, a, it's a self-worth consequence. Because when you start using people for your own pleasure, you're disposing of them like Kleenex. Have a one-night stand. What do they call what happens to a woman after a one-night stand? The walk of shame. Well, if sex is so wonderful, why do you have a walk of shame afterwards? Because it's not so wonderful without the commitment. Can you have sex without marriage? You bet. We've been doing that since time began. But can you have what God intended without marriage? No, you can't. No, you can't. And the reason why he says, be fruitful and multiply within the context of a lasting relationship, it's because we must nurture the results of the act. Not just to have the act itself, but the results. It's the child. It's the children. It's, it's the intimacy. It's the relationship. And, and we have to nurture that. To have the fulfilling experience God wants us to have. Marriage is the foundation for family and society and also a picture of God's relationship with His people. Now, I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 5, and some of you already know where this is going the S word. No, not sex, submission. (laughs) Ooh, Pastor. Well, here's what I want you to understand. That when it talks about submission of husbands to wives and wives to husbands, it's not just a, chasing a, a rabbit trail or, or a squirrel. You have to look at the context of the entire dialogue. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about relationships within the church. And how we submit one to another. And it talks about living in the light. Then it talks about living as spirit empowered believers. And then it talks about spirit guided relationships within marriage, how we deal with each other. And it goes from there in the first part of chapter six to talk about parents and children, and then slaves and masters. And then ultimately it ends with the whole armor of God. So he just didn't chase a squirrel. The Apostle Paul didn't go squirrel chasing here. He didn't just say, oh, by the way, let's do this. You know, I've got a friend, Jason Stanfield. Love Jason. Got saved in this church. Uh, He he was on staff of this church for several years. He's now a church planner, Duluth, Minnesota, that we've helped support. and, And I'm so proud of him. But he's ADD. I say, how do you know that? He told me. And I know because I've had conversations with him. Because you'll be having a conversation at times. And then all of a sudden, you know you're not having a conversation with him. Because his eyes have shifted and he's going, squirrel! Squirrel! Now he comes back and he goes, sorry, I went squirrel hunting. Paul's not squirrel hunting here. This is within the context of everything he said, and here's what it says Ephesians 5 to 31. And further, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. One to another, okay. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. Now, just hold on. For husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means to love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. It's pretty high standard. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually loves Shows love for himself. No one hates his own body. But feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As scriptures say. A man leaves his father and mother. And is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. Ha, yes it's complicated. We don't understand it all. But it is an illustration. It's a picture. by the way, Of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must, and this is an important word, must respect her husband. All right? So again, let's go back. All of this is within the context of Ephesians 5 and the first part of 6. Relationships within the church. It's not just, oh, I'm going to go after women today. We're going to get those wives straightened out. No, all of us. And honestly, this has more to do with men than women. Because both parties have responsibility to live in submission. And for a marriage to really work, there has to be some kind of leadership. And especially in the area of spirituality. Men, you need to be the first one to move towards the things of God. You need to lead your family. You need to be the one say, we're going to church. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've told you this story before, but it, I couldn't help it. Second service, we can go longer anyway. My aunt was the first one to get saved. She was seven years old. She walked a mile down the country road to a camp meeting at Fruitland Camp. And she got wonderfully saved. She came back and started bugging my grandpa. My dad was 13, 14 years old. My aunt was eight. My grandpa was Saul salt-of-the-earth guy. It, nobody had anything bad to say about Vern Carpenter, but he wasn't saved. And she, she came back, and every night she goes, I want you to come down to the camp meeting. I want you to come down to the camp meeting. Finally, one night, sitting at the table, Grandpa, the great spiritual giant that he was, said, well, tonight we're going to go to Kay's church. That's her name. And my dad being my dad said, well, I ain't going. And my grandpa being the great spiritual giant that he was at that moment said, Dale, if I've got to go, you do too. And that was the start of our family's spiritual journey. One step by a good man towards God changed the arc of our destiny. It changed our destiny from heaven to hell. My grandpa that night got saved and was never the same again. A good man turned into a godly man. And he led our family. You say, well, yeah, you come from Preacher Stock. No. My grandpa was a farmer who had a stuttering problem. He couldn't even say his own name half the time. But we were changed because he said, We're going to Kay's church. And God got hold of it. And men, you need to lead. And I firmly believe that if you lead, the people who love you will follow. And you need to earn respect. You say, well, I bring home the bacon. I put a roof over our head. That's enough. No, it's not. That's just the starting point. They need so much more from you. And I believe with all my heart that if you are worthy of respect, your family will follow you. And how do you earn respect? You're trusted. You can't respect somebody you don't trust. You name me one person in your life that you don't trust, and you respect them? No, you don't. You don't trust them. How do you respect them? I don't trust as far as I can throw them. Be worthy of respect. And you'll see the results of leadership. Not a lording over, but a guiding. This is where we're going. This is what we're working towards. This is the life we want. And God will help you. Because you see, there are blessings of marriage. Lasting legacy. Children and family are, are a wonderful legacy. They can, they can be full of pain, too. But when when a family's working well, it, it's a beautiful thing. I, I see my father and my grandchildren. I see my my grandfather and my children. A <laughs> couple weeks, we're going to go down and visit Kelly, our oldest daughter. She and her husband, Brian, have moved to Alabama, down on kind of on the Gulf Coast. Never been there before. I'm looking forward to it. But I'm talking to my grandson, Max, who's 17. Big strapping kid. He's a wrestler. Strong. He, he's growing up Out every which way, you know. The fried food is doing him good down there. <laughs> he said, Grandpa, bring some of Papa's clothes. Papa's my dad. That's what we call him. Now, I know what he wants. He, my dad's got some jackets and hats and shirts that Max loves. Now, the problem is he's probably outgrown him by now because my dad wasn't that big a guy. But just the idea that he wants them says something. While we're on sabbatical, we were in Mexico, and we had the joy of having our entire family with us for 10 days down in Mexico. And uh, my youngest daughter, Katie, who's 33, and Brian and Kelly's oldest daughter, Sophie, who is 19, did something without asking anybody they went and got a tattoo and I'm going really a tattoo but when they showed me I had a difficult time being judgmental as I told you before our family's name for my dad was Papa and he had a very distinct handwriting There's about three people in the world that could read it. I was one. His secretary of 27 years at Stone Church was another, and my mother. But he would sign the birthday cards and the Christmas cards, just Papa. And it had this distinct P. And Sophie and Katie came back from the tattoo shop, and they said, look. Look. Right there is this little P. That's legacy. He impacted their lives so much that they wanted to carry something of him the rest of their lives. That's one of the benefits of marriage deep intimacy, not just physically, sexually, but emotionally. I mean, there's something about doing life with somebody for 46 and a half years that cannot be duplicated in any other way. The experiences we've been and had together, the the places we've gone, the, the challenges we've had, the victories we've seen the low moments when we picked each other up, all of those add a texture and a richness to the tapestry of life that cannot be duplicated in any other way. And you don't get that by living for yourself. You can, you can live for yourself and be very lonely. Or you can live in relationship and no love. And there's also curses for brokenness, lasting scars, personal trust. You think of the damage that divorce does to people, the parties, but then the children as well. You want your children to have trust issues? Get divorced. You say, well, you don't understand the the complex. Yeah, I I understand. I understand the the issues surrounding it. You know, the, the Bible even makes certain exceptions. But they're few and far between. We know the pain of it as a family. Two of my daughters have been divorced because... Their husbands were unfaithful to them. I know the damage that does. I, I held them in my arms. I, I know the unfairness of it. It just, it hurts. And that's why you need to guard yourself. That's why you need to understand that that this is a precious thing. And some of you are living heroic lives in the midst of that brokenness. You, you've, you've had your marriage fall apart, and maybe not even of your own making, and now you're in a situation where you're raising a child by yourself. That's hard. One of my heroes is my son in law, Cisco. He's married to Chrissy. They're part of this church. They're gone this Sunday. They're having a little family vacation. You'll meet Sisko in the lobby. He loves the lobby because he loves people. Big old guy, usually in a red shirt. 20 years ago, Sisko was not a Christ follower. He was anything but. And his girlfriend got pregnant and she was in no shape mentally or any other way to deal with it. When his daughter Bella was born, he raised her from infancy. His brother helped him. He said, I had to learn how to braid hair. I had to learn All the things that dads do and moms do as well. And about five or six years after she was born, he came to know Christ and his life changed. And he instilled the values in that young lady, and she is now my oldest granddaughter. And if some Sunday morning you see me hugging a beautiful, dark-haired beauty, just assume it's Bella. (laughs) But that's what God can do. He can salvage and heal and restore. Even the deep pain. And that's one of the things of brokenness. There's deep pain in it. Matthew 19 Four to six, haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. The record, they record that from the beginning, God made the male and female. He said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united in one. Since they are no longer two but one, let let no one split apart what God has joined together. When you split apart a marriage, it's never clean. It tears at the very fabric of life. And I've said this for years, and I believe it. You may disagree with me, but that's okay. There's nothing more far-reaching than divorce. People die, and it's over. Oh, you have the memories, and you and, and there's a sense of loss, but God brings healing, and you move on. But I've stood and officiated at weddings where The beautiful bride walking down the aisle had to navigate the minefield of who's going to walk her down, the biological dad or the stepdad who raised her and loved her. The anger and the pain are just as real as the moment that the divorce happened. And sitting in the room, people are looking across and trying to figure out what's going on in everybody's life. And in the middle of that, there's pain. Deep, lasting pain. Oh, we can get a divorce. We'll just divide the property. You get the house. I'll get the retirement. You know, the kids can stay with you once in a while. And I'll show up on the weekend. And and, oh, it'll all be good. No, it won't. You're going to be dealing with garbage for the rest of your life. Is it worth it? Well, I'm not feeling fulfilled. I I, I can't be my best self. You know, you're holding me back. You're you're keeping me from my dreams. Oh, I, I just could be so much more if I didn't have this ball and chain. Don't kid yourself. Alone is a difficult place. And marriage is worth fighting for. Have you made mistakes? You bet. All of us have. Is your marriage perfect? No way! None of us have one. But God is able to do above and beyond whatever we could ask or imagine. Nobody has to get a divorce. Are there moments when it happens? Yes, it does. But God's grace is sufficient. Even in the midst of difficulty. Because God's grace gives us an unbreakable covenant with Jesus that heals our wounds and makes our human relationships whole. The pieces that are missing in your marriage can be filled in by God. He'll help you. But you've got to be willing. Lord, we thank you that your word gives us a structure and a hope for our relationships. I pray, Lord, today you would give us The wisdom to turn to you. Give us the encouragement that comes as you guide our relationships. God help us. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And I'm gonna ask today that no one in this room looks around. Because I'm gonna ask you to be extremely vulnerable. This is a raw moment. But if you're in this room this morning and you know there are issues in your marriage that you need to deal with, maybe you've lost the trust of your spouse. Maybe you have not lived up to the ideal that you intend your life to be. There might be things that you're dealing with today that you know need to be dealt with. It might be an attitude you have about your husband. It might be things that are just an issue but in this moment i want to submit to you that god can help you and i want to pray with you i i don't want you to walk out of here and say well you know i hope this works better i want to pray and i want to covenant with you this morning that god's going to help you but you've got to be willing to take the first step just like my grandpa did. If you want it to be better, if you want the marriage God intends for you, it starts somewhere. And his heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you say, Pastor Cal, I want you to pray and and agree with me today. Would you just stand right where you're at? Right now, right here. Is Is this tough? Yes, it is. But now's the time. Would you do it? All across this room. There's something I need to do. I'm going to wait a moment. Yes. You want to get better? This is a moment to start. Thank you for your honesty. Lord, in this moment, we thank you in us you're helping us to become who we desire to be God draw us together in you heal our homes our families give us your grace and we will give you the glory God start in us something that cannot be extinguished trust in You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.